0: Welcome to As Told Here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center.
1: As Told Here brings community media to where you are. Welcome to Midlife Matters, where we celebrate women's wisdom and wit. I'm Georgiane Lucy, your host, and I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Terry Gomez Lombardi, who is a business and community leader. She came from Cuba at age six to this country, unaccompanied, and we're going to hear about her story, which we will all learn about her as well as what was going on in the country at that time, much of which is unknown, I'm sure, to many of our viewers. Welcome, Terry. Thank you, Chair Jan. I discovered you because you were featured in an alumni article with Central Connecticut State College, and you told me you were in a Hartford Current front page in 2015. So I've become, you know, fairly familiar with this story and just delighted again to know you. And for our viewers, Operation Pedro Pon brought over 14,000 children unaccompanied from Cuba to the United States in less than a two-year period. That's correct. Could you share some of your journey, as how you got here, what that was like, and your early childhood? Sure. I was the daughter of
0: a businessman, a very well-to-do businessman in Havana, Cuba. He owned ice businesses and uh, quite a bit of real estate. And a mom who was really a stay-at-home mom of my brother and I. We went to private schools. We had a comfortable life. And my father worked very, very hard. He had immigrated from Spain and had started in the coal business. He started to invest in Havana, in the real estate, and then in his own business. In Latin America, there are many governments that come and go. When the Fidel Castro government came into power at the end of 1959-1960, we started to experience changes, major changes. The first couple of changes were to nationalize all of the businesses. What my father looked at was he was no longer owner of his businesses, he was a worker for the businesses. They confiscated the land, agrarian reform took place, banking, they confiscated our savings, they confiscated our property, even where we lived, they closed the schools, the private schools, and they prohibited us from practicing our religion, Catholic religion. At that point, my mother started to get very nervous, but like most Cubans, they thought this would pass. But until The government mentioned that at the age of 10, the government would be in charge of children versus the parents. That's when she went into action. And talking to other parents who had children in these private schools and saw what was coming down, she looked for ways in talking to people of getting us out of the country. She became one of the parents that looked at this mass exodus of children to come to the United States. She applied, she placed our names on the list for a fake visa waiver and a fake document telling the government that we would be going to school. This underground operation advised her that when the time came, she would have 24 hours, she would receive a telegram, Mm. and within 24 hours, we were to report to the airport. We were only allowed to bring two outfits and one toy. My mother packed a sweater for me because she thought it would be very cold in the United States. A set of pajamas, which she embroidered my initials on to make sure it was mine. And my father gave me this gift, Pepito. Pepito has traveled this journey with me. It is the last gift he ever gave to me. The saddest part of this front end of this journey was arriving at the airport. We waited six hours in the fishbowl, it's called, La Pesera, which was a glass case where the children were on one side and the parents on the other. And they took Pepito apart, his head, his arms, his legs, to see if I was carrying ever, anything, jewels or anything. It was a stewardess who put him back together. And to me, this was what I would call trauma mm-hmm. as a child. Arrived in Miami International Airport eight hours later. And I was met with um, other children. where. People would take their, the children if they had families or relatives. But those of us that didn't have any families, we were taken to a, a camp, a refugee camp. My brother and I went to Florida City refugee camp, and we stayed there until we were provided a, a foster family in upstate New York. So we traveled to upstate New York, Vestal, New York, with a foster family who had five children of their own. And I would call this period really lost of identity. Here it's where uh, my name was changed from Maria Teresa to Terry, where I went from patent leather shoes to sneakers, from dresses to shorts, from barrettes to ponytails, and from appearance that I was skinny, whereas I was usually be chubby, uh, the environment was from sun to snow. It was a a period of great loss of who I was in the Cuban culture, who I was as a Cuban. Three years later, this foster family could no longer take care of us, and so we were transported to East Hartford, Connecticut to another foster family. I will say that's when I learned what dysfunctional family what it really is. Mm-hmm. We lived off of Twinkies, chocolate cupcakes, and we did whatever we wanted. Here I was at 10 years old, really, went to school when I wanted to go to school, dressed what I could ever put on, and ate whatever I could eat. It was at this point, though, that I learned survival, truly survival, physical, mental survival at 10 years old. A year later, it became the period of hope and independence and responsibility. And that's when my mother arrived. And she was able to get out. After trying to flee two times and escaping and getting caught, Mm. she was able to, to come to the United States. She placed me in charge of finding an apartment, of translating for her, and helping her find a job, which she did she sewed. I babysat 3 to 11 at night. My brother had a paper route, and that's
1: how we paid the rent. And how old were you at this time? About 10? I was 11. 11. When she came. Working all those So
0: as hard as that sounds, Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful experience, and how you become who you are today is a result of those hardships and struggles. And and appreciation for this country, mm-hmm. really. Nowhere in the world could we have had the opportunities that we've had here.
1: And you went on to earn the undergraduate degree, two master's degrees. You've been in management. We'll talk about your community leadership. Who and what were your support systems through this?
0: Aside from my hero, my mother, the support, it was school. School provided me a place to go, structure, Purpose, teachers gave me guidance, um, sort of took me under their their wing. If I could spend all my time in school, I would have. Mm-hmm. But there was the library. the library is where I found tranquility, refuge. I was able to study, and of course, church. The church for me, was where I prayed. Mm-hmm. Um, praying was part of me every day Mm -hmm. Um, it was well I didn't have a father I did have a father Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean yes and um, at the library I discovered the readers digest and a certain section called word power my vocabulary wasn't very good and my teacher said you have to work on your vocabulary so I would do this word power Mm. every month to learn Latin suffixes and prefixes. So I would say those were the main support systems. I will say once I met my husband, Bill, he was the biggest, biggest support system, followed by my two sons, Anthony and Tom. Once I got a little older, it was my best friends. It was uh, Donna Handy, who grew up with me in the project. We, I grew up in, a, in the Hockenham project. Which was very du- tough environment for girls, for boys, teenagers. She was the smartest girl I knew, and she kept pro uh, asking me compete with me, compete with me. She had a big influence. She really taught me how to study. Then there were my good, good friends Susan, uh, Spanish, in high school freshman Spanish, Margot, in eighth grade, and. Uh, Some former bosses who mentored me.
1: As you look Mm. back at this point in your life, what personal qualities do you think served you well? I mean, obviously you formed friendships, you kept your faith, so you were able to do that. Certainly all of your um, early leadership that you exhibited in terms of survival, you know, once your mom came, really being the lead person because of the language and having been here already. What other kinds of things have you seen that are common through your business and community work? I would start with, I always had a vision. A vision either of
0: me or me in a certain place, that it would, what it would look like
1: mm-hmm.
0: in a positive mode. And then I would set out goals, whether it was personal goals, school goals career goals, Uh family goals, goals every step of the way. And I would have long-term goals. I would even envision myself what I was gonna look like as a teenager or what I was gonna look like working in the Uh work field, the corporate world, or as a teacher. I always had short-term and long-term goals. And once I married Bill, every January, we spent a week looking back at our previous year goals and five year goals and what we were going to do for the next so vision and goals have been very mm-hmm. very important to me hard work and work harder if i think it's i'm doing hard work i then say how can i do it even harder persistence and confidence i never compared myself to other people mm. And when I didn't compare myself, and believe me, I didn't think of this at the time, Uh but I never compared myself to others. That was what gave me confidence. I would look at myself and compete for myself and look and see what I could do. Curiosity and raising my hand and saying when people didn't want to do something, whether it was at school or work or wherever, I would say, I'll do it. And that's where I learned a lot, is is doing it. And it was my mother who always said, walk through that door.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Walk through that door. When people don't want to do something, do it. Who knows? Don't tell them that you don't know how to do it. Just do it. People will help you. How true she was to that.
1: I had read a couple of books about this time in Cuba. One was Waiting for Snow in Havana by Carlos Erie. A number of years ago, and then more recently after we spoke, I got the book by Victor Trier, fleeing Castro, which I believe was the basis of his Ph.D. dissertation. He's a professor at the community college because he took very much a research approach. He really emphasized that many of the children who came probably did better in school than they did prior. You know, I'd say they were already close to being teenagers, that that need to excel and be able to make their families proud, showed a lot of resilience and a lot of determination. That seemed to be something in common, helped people, and certainly what you talk about is just a wonderful example of that. But having him relate after speaking with many people, it looked like to do his his paper and his book, how difficult for children to have to face all of that displacement and still find a way to believe in themselves and And I think even as adults, Mm -hmm. adversity serves us well Mm -hmm. in life.
0: I say that to my sons, because sometimes those times and those situations bring about learning about ourselves and our potential that we would have never explored. Mm -hmm. And so when you are placed in an environment like in this wonderful country where you have the opportunity. No one is stopping us. You can earn it by yourself. You don't have to rely on something.
1: That is the gift and the reward that we get personally. You can go to the library, find the Reader's Digest, and look up word power and practice. I mean, that's a beautiful example.
0: You can work on tobacco at 14 years old Mm -hmm. and earn money to buy a pocketbook that girls that are very rich were walking around and I didn't even know it. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever. But along the way, we need to help others along the way. And so it's not only about us, but it's about helping others get there. I would not be successful... If others didn't mentor me, mm-hmm. and I would not be happy if I didn't mentor others along the way. So I think we, as these children, Cuban children, who are, we are, Operation Pedro Pond. We are an organization. Then our mission is to help other children in need. Have really contributed both to society. But we have earned gifts. Now I will say that it wasn't easy for all of us, mm-hmm. and there are many
1: that are still struggling the effects of of that journey. When did you first learn about this Operation Pedro Pan um, organization? I knew I was part of something, but I didn't know what I was part of. Okay.
0: And I was so focused on my goals and achieving and mm-hmm. getting to where I was. And I said to my husband, Bill, let's go to Miami. I know I'm part of something. And one day, I started calling and calling. And I called the Catholic Charities. I knew it was something with religion. Lo and behold, I found Monsignor Walsh. Um. And I spoke to him, and he wanted to meet me. And we had two hours to go to get the air flight. He said, come back we have a gala every Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving dinner and dance. I want to meet you Mm -hmm. and you're going to meet others. And so ever since then, 1996, I've been involved in a member of Operation Pedro Pan. And most Novembers we go to Miami, Bill and I, Mm -hmm. to to, uh, share our experiences and celebrate our freedom.
1: And I believe, Pepito spent a little time in the museum down there oh, if I'm correct yes yes
0: yes the Miami History Museum had an exhibit that went for approximately six months in, in 2015 and uh, all of my correspondence to my parents Pepito my clothes were part of that exhibit nice. wonderful. yes it was a wonderful event
1: Now let's shift a little. As I mentioned, you've held management jobs, you've taught marketing at Central Connecticut State University, you've held leadership jobs with Board of Education, Regional Council of Education, a YMCA, and you received a YMCA Social Responsibility Award. Is that where you really were able to take your own experiences of having been mentored and helped reach incredible goals and then give back? Right. This was a time,
0: my goal became a piece of my pie, Mm -hmm. Uh, life pie became giving back after I raised my sons and uh, it was to give back to the community, uh, helping working mothers, helping families with their children. We were members of the Southington Cheshire YMCA since our children were six months old. Mm And I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to help children. I was never able to take a vacation as a youngster. I was never able to have a camp, go to a camp. I never had a bicycle. And so I thought, I'm going to send some kids to camp. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy some bicycles for children. I'm going to donate for some families and help families assimilate. Uh, I will never hope that any child will be placed in the back of a classroom like I was in first grade with no one to talk to, because they couldn't communicate in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So I tutored for two years children, English as a second language. Mm -hmm. And today, to this day, I still do help families who come to this country. And and you
1: mentored people at work. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And And they've mentored me. (laughs) Absolutely. And they've mentored me. Now you're wrapping up a third term as a member of the Southington Board of Ed. I have a notion, a term I use, our zenith years, where I believe that we can pull our wisdom and our intuition and all that terrific experience, all those learning uh, experiences together to reach new heights. So what might you do in your zenith years?
0: My goal and vision now is to write. To write a memoir that the target audience is those that think they can't, ensure that they think they can, Mm -hmm. to take what they have today, make their way, and stay focused on what their goals and vision are through faith, through their faith, through their family, through opportunities, um, but most importantly, to share my experiences with my children, my grandchildren, and those after. That's That's what I like to do.
1: We do tend to get wiser as we age. We Mm -hmm. can't help but learn a little bit along the way. So if you were to write a letter... To your younger self, let's say at 25 and maybe 40. Dear Terry, oh, what a great question! <laughs>
0: what a great question that is. At 25, I would write to Terry to be patient, have more fun, learn more languages. And reach out to others that are very different than you. I think that's what I would do.
1: And what were you doing when you were 40? Were you still raising kids and working? and?
0: At 40, I was still yeah. a working mom. I was a working mom. Being a mother was the best experience that I could have ever had in this life. These two boys make me proud. They... um respect our journey, their father. They respect me. Um, and we are very, very proud of them. They are proud of their Cuban heritage, which I thought was going to be a very hard journey for me to bring on to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at at age 40, um, I would have still said, Have more patience. Mm -hmm. The kids were teenagers. Uh, Observe more. Speak less and observe more. And climb to new heights. I did make some decisions for work-life balance that I didn't take some steps. I don't regret those. But I could have done more for those in need, I think, at that period of time, helping others. Mm -hmm. And I was so focused on my two sons and having them go to school and go to good schools. Mm -hmm. Education was the the door. And also to be able to continue to care for my mother. Mm -hmm. My mother
1: lived uh, with us for 30 years. Mm sounds like your plate was pretty full. Well, I think there was dessert that wasn't tapped. Okay, good way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. In closing, we always invite people to share their favorite quote. So mine comes from my mother Mm -hmm.
0: who always, always said, besides God bless America because there wasn't a day where she wouldn't say God bless America. Mm -hmm. She would say, no hay mal que por bien no venga. Which means... Out of something bad, always something good comes of it. The path goes somewhere, and it's always good. It's meant to be. Mm-hmm. But something good always comes from something that's not that good. Wonderful. And I think that that's true
1: for us. Could you repeat that again in Spanish? Sure. No hay mal que por bien no venga. Beautiful. Thank you so much. We have all learned a lot from your story. Thanks to our local producers and Team
0: Hercules for production support. As told here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As told here, brings community media to where you are.